A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, episode 73, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Well, folks, episode 73, and it's a big one. The top dog, the commish, the killer dog himself, George Killerbrew. He's going to drop by the show with Pete Steinberg a little later. Dan Power, as always, joined by the professor, Pete Steinberg. Today's banter is brought to you by shopmlr.com, powered by the rugby shop. Pete, it's December. It's almost Christmas. Are you feeling festive, buddy? Uh, well, I'm feeling festive because this is the week that we can start thinking about the season, Dan. Like this long, 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 long off season where every day has been Groundhog Day seems to be coming to an end. There's light at the end of the tunnel and we have games of rugby to look forward to. And a lot of activity too, hasn't it, Pete? With oh, that. yeah. I mean, lots of ramping up, lots of signings, lots of announcements. But, you know, the big thing this week is, is the schedule. And that's just been uh, like, yeah, it's nice to be able to look at a schedule and start thinking about rugby, right? And right. thinking about MLR rugby and who's playing who and like, like starting to like think about the big games in the schedule. I mean, it's just, it's such an exciting week. It is, as other competitions around the world, uh, wrapping up, ramping up, and the Autumn's Cup over in the UK, uh, I believe, finished on the weekend, as did the three nations in the Southern Hemisphere. The Premiership's kicking on. MLR, they put their stake in the ground. The schedule was announced. We know who's playing who, when they're playing, where they're playing. All the fun stuff is starting to come uh, to fruition, Pete. And like you said... The, the realism of the world's longest off-season is almost over. We're almost yeah, done. It, it, it is. It is. And, um, you know, the only thing I would say, Dan, is that, you know, I, I talked with the, um, uh, with the commish, right, um, earlier this week. And, and while he said, hey, this schedule's like the firm schedule, he also said, don't be surprised if there aren't some changes. And he had some interesting inputs into kind of how the schedule got put together. Isn't it? It's, it's, it's supposedly one of the uh, most mysterious algorithms in the sporting world. Of <laughs> how do you build a schedule? Um, and no one's ever obviously going to be happy. There's going to be winners and losers from the get-go, but right. rugby's played on a field, not in the back room with a pen and paper. So well, you've got to get out there and win those games. It, it's, it's hard enough building a schedule, but then like, don't we have like a prime number of teams? Oh, yeah, even, even better. 13 into, into 16 rounds. And so as, as most people... The worst number, like 11... As most people have 11, seen... 13 are the worst. I mean, Danny, yeah, we have yeah. a delay. I think it's coming from your end, buddy. The, the, you always uh, blame my internet. But it is you. I think people have written in on the socials saying, Pete sounds like a robot sometimes. I'm like, I know. Well, but, 
having run a lot of sevens tournaments, like what you don't want is you don't want seven, right? You don't want 11 and you don't want 13 because you just can't like those numbers just makes it really, really hard. So like you look at, you know, when we look at the schedule, we'll see buys like, you know, we talk, we've always talked about this, like, you know, there's a strategic advantage around buys, but as, as, as George talks about, there's a lot of moving parts to put the schedule together. It makes it very, very difficult. And so you're right. There's a secret algorithm. And then there's all these different um, impacts like availability and TV. I mean, the facilities, like people don't own their facilities, right? So they can't get in the facility. They can't play the game on that day, even if that's what the algorithm says. So lots of, uh, lo lots of difficulty on that schedule. Glad I don't have to be involved in it. Exactly. And we've already seen some teams will play each other three times in the regular season. Uh, if it was 2020, you'd obviously want to avoid San Diego in that equation. But you know, we don't know. We don't know. The, the turnover, as we'll look at some signings later, Pete, the turnover is again you know, reasonably high throughout Major League Rugby. So it's hard to kind of become an expert in predicting how these teams are going to look round one. We can guess based on what we know and some of the players that we know, but we don't know. We, we've seen before some marquee players have come over, haven't performed. Some players that we've never heard of have come over and been superstars. So it's uh, a lot in the air, but that makes it exciting. That's what makes MLR such an exciting proposition for fans and, and viewers in the US and, and around the world. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think the big thing that I would look for early on in the season is continuity, Dan. Same coach, mostly the same players, probably will start well. Doesn't mean you're going to end well, but I think continuity will be important for the start. Toronto Aris, 2021 champions. You heard it here first, folks. Pete Steinberg. <laughs> you love I'll put some money on the arrows. I'll put some money on the arrows for 2021. I mean, they look pretty good in 2020, and they've certainly got that continuity going for them. I tell you, it'll be interesting, and, and I'm, I'm digressing just slightly, but interesting to see how you replace Sam Malcolm. I, I mean, played 15, played 10, tough competitor, great teammate. There's a lot to like. Dan Moore retires. Just a couple of little things around there that is, can is unsettle. This, is, this, is this the Arrows review episode? Uh, we, this is like deep dive into the Arrows during our banter session. <laughs> yeah. Tune in in about 10 weeks, Arrows fan. That's when we're finally going to get to Toronto because they ended up finishing, I believe, in second place overall. That's right. We do it in reverse order. Reverse order. But, yeah. All right. Enough of the uh, banter deep dive on my end. I'm just so excited for Rugby Pete. Let's welcome in the commissioner, George Killebrew, who is kicking off his second season as commissioner. He sat down with the professor, Pete Steinberg, earlier today. Well, welcome, George Killebrew, the Commissioner of Major League Rugby. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. So we've got a lot to ask you, George, but let's just start off. It's about a year, or maybe, I mean, it's pretty close to a year since you took this role. Obviously, the, not the environment you expected over the year, but talk a little bit about your experience, your first year as the Commissioner of Major League Rugby. Yeah, you know, to use some words, I guess, you know, it's been hectic. Uh, it's been exhilarating at times. And then quite frankly, it's been frustrating at times, you know, and I say that because, you know, when I accepted the position, I really felt and I still felt feel today that 
kind of rugby succeeding in North America is the next big thing. I, I truly believe that. And, I, and then the frustrating part came in is that there were a lot of signs, you know, through the first five weeks of last year that kind of led me to believe that, you know, that was for sure. You know, things like our expansion team selling out their first home games and our television ratings growing and our OTT platform growing exponentially. And so there were all these indicators, you know, through the first five weeks that had me really bullish. And then unfortunately, you know, we had to shut things down because of COVID. So um, it's been like everybody else's year, you know, it's been filled with ups and downs and every day is different. And uh, that's kind of where we sit today. But you know, we're on the verge of announcing our, our plans for, for the fifth season, or actually for the fourth season, excuse me. And, um, you know, we're excited about that. So, George, can you talk about this idea of believing in Major League Rugby? I mean, um, I know uh, I'm a great believer. I'm, I'm with you. You obviously came into the league believing that major that rugby had a, um, a place in the professional landscape. Now you've been here a year. What are some of the things that you think – you know, have um, reinforced that belief, some of the things that you think really um, can put rugby on the map in the U.S.? Well, we know that rugby is loved worldwide, and it just hasn't fully translated in North America. It's no different than when soccer came over 25 years ago when MLS began. You know, there was a lot of people with a curiosity factor. And we know through our research and some of the time we've spent in this offseason that there is a, a, a serious curiosity factor about rugby in North America. So, you know, that's all positive. And then just some of the early indicators that we just talked about, you know, with, with our stands being a lot more full through the first five weeks of last year and, and interest from, you know, major television partners like CBS and Fox. So, you know, I'm, I, it's not a thing where you just flip the switch and all of a sudden you're success. You know, there, there are a lot of steps that have to be taken on your way to success, and I believe we're taking those steps. Now, you know, last year, obviously, impacted by the COVID pandemic, the league was um, really on the forefront of professional sports with some of the decisions that it made around the season. Can you talk a little bit about how those decisions came about and, you know, what the process was to cancel early, um, pay the players, some of those things that I think really made a big impact on the league's branding. Yeah, I mean, our decision-making process is grounded in safety, right? So like the safety of our players, the safety of our coaches, the safety of our fans, the safety of our staff, the safety of our broadcasters um, are at the forefront. And so as this was starting to unfold, you know, luckily, you know, I was, I was, fortunate enough to be able to tap into what the NBA protocols were. And so, you know, I worked with Mark Cuban for 20 years and he's one of the first people I went to initially and said, Hey, here's what we're thinking. What would you do? And he corroborated kind of our decision-making process. Then, you know, you know, we have a board, you know, so we, we took it to the board and I, I made our, our recommendation and they unanimously not only, you know, felt like it was the right way, you know, the second decision that I think really has, has played really well for us was the decision to pay all the players their full salaries for the entire year. And, you know, we had another upstart league, you know, that actually started the same weekend we did that, that, that had to fold and literally, you know, jettison everyone immediately with no, you know, wages or anything. And, and I was really proud of our owners to make a hard financial decision it was hard enough that we had to shut the league down after week five, 
but because we're already losing money, but then to you know have the, the wherewithal and the, and the foresight to pay all of our players their full salaries, you know, I, I really was, was proud of that decision, not just because, you know, they needed it or what have you, but, you know, we have so many international players, as you know, and they all went back, you know, to their homelands and through all the different media mechanisms, whether it be Twitter, Facebook Messenger, Instagram, you know, direct messages or whatever, thanked me, you know, met so many of them just said, hey, this is really first class and I'm going to tell everyone that'll listen how first class I was treated and I look forward to coming back, you know, the following season. So I think we accomplished a lot of goals in a really tough scenario. Now let's talk about, you know, obviously that bond with the overseas players and some of the branding that comes with it. Can you talk a little bit about how you think some of the decisions that were made for the 2020 season might impact the league moving forward into 2021? Well, I mean, we all read about leagues and sports across the world that are having massive financial problems. And I think it was a real testament, you know, that we lived up to our contracts and we paid these players. And then what it does, it just, you know, there's such a curiosity factor of, you know, is rugby going to make it in North America? I mean, it's, it's probably right. the biggest thing that's bantered around on the international rugby scene because we're kind of the last bastion, you know, we're the last one to get there. And I think those decisions show that we're in this for the long haul, that we, we want to be a place, you know, that is a destination point for certain international players if they want to come across and play. I um, mean, I think that's important because, you know, some of these international players, obviously our, our goals here are to grow the game in North America. We, we understand that. But when you can pull across a guy like Chris Robshaw, for example, that's coming across, you know, for this season, and you look at the following that Chris Robshaw has, not just on his social media channels, but just, and I, I do not know him, but I've, I've been following him, you know, as best I can. He has a huge impact, you know, and, as, and a huge following. And as he suits up for the San Diego Legion, that's a big deal for Major League Rugby. You can't buy that kind of publicity, right? You know, and, right. and we hope not just the Rob Shaws of the world, but, but anyone that does come across that has that kind of following that have played on the biggest stage, not only are we getting their marketing power, but what we're getting are veterans that can show the younger North American players how to be a professional, how to train, how to eat properly, how to have, you know, great habits. You know, they can bring this experience because they've done it on the biggest stage. And that is invaluable to me for our young American players that are aspiring to be that. Well, you know, I think that's great because I think there's been a couple of initiatives this off season that the league has launched that really has been about long-term growth of American rugby. So one was the institution of the MLR, MLR draft, right? So connecting major league rugby with the college game. And, and that's where a lot of our players um, become the rugby players that they are, but also the um, launching the national grass, sorry, grassroots development initiative, which is about like really getting um, teams and leagues to invest in the younger age of rugby. Can you talk a little bit about those initiatives, how the league sees their impact in growing the playing base and the game over the next five to 10 years? Sure. You know, I'll take the draft first. You know, when I first got here, there wasn't that pathway, right? There was, there was right. a missing link, right? So there's youth rugby and then academy rugby and then 
you know, you know, possibly collegiate rugby, and then, then, then what do you do? And so I asked the question, if we had a draft, and the draft had been ping-ponged around through the league, you know, through the first few years, but never really, uh, it was never really cemented that we were going to do it. And I just, I just asked a simple question, like how many of these collegiate players will register for our draft? Because I think we had decided to do two rounds. We were going to do it with just the U.S.-based team. So that's 12 teams times two is 24. You know, are we going to have, you know, enough bodies to, to get through those two rounds? And everyone assured me we would. And then, you know, when we had over 400-plus athletes register for the draft, I knew we were doing the right thing. Um, and it's, it's what every kid dreams of. I don't care what sport you played in. But whatever, whatever your, your sport is, and you started out as a, a youngster and, and work your way up through the system, you know, and maybe to get your name called during a professional sport draft night, you know, I mean, that's the dream. You know, we've watched the stories, at least, you know, in North America with the NFL and the NBA, and it's, it's just great drama. You, you see, you know, these, these young men, you know, live their dream to be, have their name called, and we should have that too in rugby, and we should have that too, as part of major league rugby. Now, I would like to do it a little better next time around. I'd like for us to be in person and I'd like to be at a podium and I'd like to have, you know, the athletes there and to come on stage and, to, you know, have their moments as well, they, you know, the way they should. But, you know, hopefully we can do that this next, this next round. But it was a very important decision for this league. I'm ecstatic we did it. The response was overwhelming and the 24 young men that had their name called, it's, it's a lifelong dream. So I know we're doing the right things there. As far as the grassroots development initiatives, you know, um, th this should have been year one stuff for this league. Um, you know, it really should. And, and you know, the, the, the development of the game at the youth level, the development of the game at the academy level is at the forefront because, you know, they become your fans. If you're in a local market, you know, they become the first thousand or 2000 or 5,000 in a perfect world people through the turnstiles on the Saturday, because the quid pro quo is, is our, our member teams work with their communities and they grow the game of rugby on these levels, you know, and you do that all week long. The quid pro quo is on Saturday when the big boys are playing the professional match, everyone turns up. The, the people that are affected, boys and girls, their families, their friends, and that is the bedrock of your attendance, you know, for a professional team, or it should be, you know, and so I, I think we're late to the game, but better late than never. Not to say we weren't doing a lot of this work, and we have been for the past, you know, three and a half years, but, you know, now it's formalized, and now it's an arms race, right? You've seen right. rugby kind of anoint certain of these programs. And now the rest of the teams are like, Hey, we got to be anointed, you know, for our Academy program. And um, it's all great. And that's part of the blessing of the 300 days we had between shutting down last year and beginning this year, right? It's given our member teams the time and the resources to focus in on youth rugby initiatives in their market and the Academy programs in their market. So it's awesome stuff on both fronts. And I, don't, I literally don't think we would have them as strong as they are if it weren't for us having to shut down and have the time. Because if you think about it, you know, if our finals had been played on June the 26th, and then you take a deep breath, well, all the rec programs and all that, they're already into summer in these markets. Right. And right. so, you know, we've missed that window again. So now we haven't missed the window. We've been able to go out 
and reach out to all the, you know, the rec programs and what have you that are playing rugby in our markets and, and, and formalize a relationship with them to our teams. And that's the way it should be. Yeah, I mean, my, uh, my daughter's four-year-old and had her first organized soccer, and she plays in the Colorado Rapids Youth Soccer, and she gets a Colorado Rapids jersey, and now she talks about the Rapids. I mean, it's, it is absolutely the way to grow that base. So I, think, I think some of the stuff, and you can see some of the stuff the teams are doing is really, really phenomenal. Well, that's um, it. That's it, right? Because as a four-year-old, if, if, you, if you drank the Kool-Aid and that right. is now your team, and that, that doesn't go away. Like try to change your affiliation. We all had our favorite teams growing up and through good and bad times, you never dump your favorite team. They're always your favorite team. And so that is so very important. And having kits, you know, with our, our team's names on it, that the youth of our cities are wearing, and then they come to the matches and they're the ball boys and ball girls. And they're in, now they are woven into the DNA and right. you cannot change that. that that is something that they will remember even if their interest wanes over time and they they pick up something else that they love as children that's okay because you're never going to forget your first professional game you know you probably went with your mom or your dad and you'll never forget it you have made a lifelong memory and the fact that she is wearing a colorado rapids jersey is gold that's what we want in our teams in our league as well so, so, George, what I'm hearing from you is I should just go ahead, buy myself a Colorado Rapids jersey, and just be season ticket holders, because that's not going to go away. <laughs> it's not, and it's, it's, that's the beauty of this. Yeah. The reason you attend an MLR match or an MLS match doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the why. It's really the what and the who, right? So in your case, the who is, is your four-year-old daughter that says, Dad, I got to go watch you know, the, my, my heroes and my mentors play. And so you're not going to disappoint your daughter. So you're going to strap on the Jersey, whether you like it or not, you're going to attend their matches. She's going to ask you questions that you don't even necessarily have the answer to like what is offsides in soccer or one of the, the laws in rugby. Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It doesn't matter the why it's the what and the who, and that's what we have got to do better because then, you know, your, 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 your attendances grow exponentially. Because now, you know, the daughter is bringing the mom or the dad or the grandparents or her friends, you know, to the matches and you just do it. It's not necessarily what your choice was for that Saturday night, but it was the family's choice. And now our attendances are growing exponentially because it's not just the one rugby fanatic that's showing up. (laughs) It's the rugby fanatic and, you know, their, their little microcosm and their, their, their biosphere of rugby fans within the family so it's it's exactly what grassroots marketing is all about well and we're all getting really excited because this week the league is announcing the um opening schedule um can you talk a little bit i mean we all want to know um where our teams are playing when they're playing but there's got to be a lot of moving parts that happen when you try to pull together the schedule it's not just someone with an excel spreadsheet can you talk a little bit about the inputs that go in when you try to pull pull together a complex schedule around the country yeah, it's, it's the, the worst job in a professional sport <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. Um, I remember in all my years, 29 years in the NBA, you know, there was a guy in the basement of NBA headquarters somewhere. Um, but, you know, we would get the emails from him. So we all knew his name. We'd never met the guy. <laughs> I don't think he ever came up for air. I think he was sequestered to a computer logarithm in the basement of NBA headquarters. And he would hit send and we would all – 
you know, get all of his correspondence. But seriously, it's, um, you know, if you like working the Sunday New York Times crossword puzzle, then you like scheduling because <laughs> so much goes into it. Um, venue availability is big in our league because we don't own our facilities. And so it, for the most part, so a couple of our teams do own and control their facilities, but for the most part, we're a tenant. So we're, we're being scheduled alongside other things. Uh, travel comes really into play in our league as well. Um, our broadcast partners, you know, really getting the marquee matches for our national television are, are kind of things that come with it. And it's never a perfect science. You're always going to have some hiccups along the way. Um, I was joking with, um, you know, especially in these COVID times, a couple of our owners, you know, the NBA came out and said, here's our five games on Christmas Day, you know, which is kind of a, they're a flag planting kind of day for the NBA that is Christmas Day. And there's 10 teams involved and they announced the schedule and everything. And I made a friendly wager with one of our owners. I said, I bet that changes between now and Christmas Day just right. because of what's going on in the world. So, yep. you know, you do your best. Um, we're going to announce ours. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to swear to you with my hand held high that it won't change because it, it probably will. But uh, those are some of the things that go into scheduling. So, so obviously at some point the schedule that was announced that was final, but prior to that, it had a version number next to it. So even when you get to that, what, 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 what's the sort of order of magnitude of versions that you go to before you announce it? Well, I'm, I'm going to give credit to a couple other people that I work with, you know, Emma Black and Nish, who runs our competition, they, they kind of run with the scheduling. Now there's software and we have a partner that helps us there. So, you know, you put all the inputs in and it kind of spits it out, but then you get a call. I won't throw anyone under the bus, but a certain team says, hey, remember, you know, this date in June? Well, we have to take that date back because our facility is not available or, you know, so you know, a lot of, lot, of, lot of those kind of things. So I, I don't think we have, we've had too many versions yet. We'll go out and, and, and get this one out, but uh, don't write in pen, write in pencil with your favorite team and, and, you know, just trust me, it's the best thing to do is to write in pencil. So can you talk a little bit, one of the new things that's coming out this season is that there's actually a start to preseason camp and that's February 15th, 2021. All the teams are starting. It's very similar to other sports in the U S that kind of like have an announcement of the start of their camp. Can you talk a little bit about why that's important for MLR? Well, it's, you know, I think things have changed a lot in professional sports over the past few years. I think professional sports used to use training camp as where you get in shape. So you could theoretically come in and be out of shape and then use that, that training camp time to get into shape. I don't think that happens anymore. Right. I think the physicality and the work that our athletes do is now a year-round program. You know, I think, I think basically for the most part, athletes, professional athletes in general, you know, stay in shape year round. Now they may cheat a little in the off season and add a little something to, you know, that they deserve, but I think they report for the most part in shape. So to me, you know, it's just, it's one of those things when we report on February the 15th, I would expect, and, you know, well, I guess we could we could have a little friendly wager there too, that, that for the most part, our, our teams are, are pretty much ready to go. Now it's about chemistry. It's about learning your new teammates, you know, and getting chemistry with them to be able to compete, you know, 
when, when we open on March 20th and 21st. So to me, it's not about fitness. And I, we get to see now because of social media, right. the way that our guys stay in shape. You know, they, our guys in particular love to show us videos of themselves on Instagram or what have you in the weight room, which is great. You know, so we're, we're living it full time. So you can't really run and hide if you're going to be active on social media. You, you know, you've got to be in shape. And so now I think on February 15th, if I'm a coach or a GM, I use that time now to gain chemistry and to, and to get my squad playing together as one. Uh, that's what I would do if I were in those positions. And, and I would make sure I'm talking to my guys before February 15th saying, don't come in here out of shape. Don't do it. Like, you know, you need to be, you don't have anything else to do. It's COVID. Right. You're sequestered. You're in quarantine. Everyone goes, they go down to your basement, get a bike, get a weight, but do not show up severely out of shape. You know, I, I think there's probably a number of type five forwards, George, who are listening to this podcast who are slowly putting down the cookie that they were about to put in their mouth and be like, hold on, we have eight weeks, right? Eight weeks is long enough to get in shape, but, but you better start soon. Uh, well, that's, he, uh, that's you probably good. watched the Bahamas yep. tournament. Well, I, I watched it too. And when I saw what a lot of guys that I know that were playing for MLR, I'm like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, which, you know, that Bahamas tournament, what I, I started to refer to it as was like spring break for adults. I, I, it did seem like there, there was a lot more Instagrams of being on the mopeds, being at the beach than there was in being at the weight room. I will definitely say that that's what I saw. I saw very little rugby. I saw lots of mopeds, a lot of ocean play. You know, I, I was, and I'm only saying it because I was jealous. I'm like, how, how come <laughs> I didn't get invited? You know, this would have been, you know, it looked like a, a great program. But, um, you know, we, we Nish and I were talking about it as we watched a lot of it and he, mentioned a couple of players that he felt were, you know, not quite in the tip top condition that they're going to be in on February 15th. That's so, right. That's right. That's the message, right? Yeah. That's the message. Well, everyone has time. This yeah. is a great timing, George. Eight weeks, eight weeks is a good amount of time for you to better get into shape. I mean, the holidays might make it a little bit difficult on your, on your diet, but, but everyone, everyone does have time. George, this has been great. I, I have one more question for you. Um, you know, when you, when you get to the end of the 2021 season and you look back, what are the two or three things that you want to see that would say, wow, this was not just a success because we, you know, I think we all have faith in MLR. MLR is going to be good. The games have been great. They'll continue to be great. The crowds will grow. But what are a couple of things that if they happen, that if they pop, that you would be like, wow, that's more than I thought. And that's really putting us on a great path. Yeah, I think health and safety is at the forefront of that that we can actually get in a 16 match season and play our finals on October the 1st on what I like to refer to as big CBS in right. prime time. Um, you know, I think if we get to that, that point of August 1st and, uh, you know, a finals on CBS in prime time and along the way, we've seen our attendances rise and our television ratings rise and our OTT platforms grow uh, and, and our teams getting more local sponsorship and, and really, getting footholds in their community and growing the youth rugby side and, and the, and the development of the Academy program. I mean, to me, that'll be a rousing success in, in my view. Yeah. And I absolutely agree. Well, George, thank you so much for joining us. Um, good luck in the preparation for the new season. And we look forward to hearing from you again on MLR kickoff. Anytime Pete. Thank you.
Beautiful stuff. And uh, yeah, what, what an infectious energy that man has. I mean, it's hard not to get behind him, hard, to, hard not to get to behind his team and, and the, the vision that they have for rugby in America, Pete. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like lots of really great stuff. And, and I, I love hearing someone like George, who's a professional sports guy, right? He's not a rugby guy, but you can hear how excited he is about the potential of Major League Rugby. I mean, you know, he made a choice to come in um, almost exactly a year ago uh, into this fledgling league and to bring that NBA experience. And, um, you know, it, I think he's still got, you know, he's still learning about the idiosyncrasies of rugby, but he brings that professional sports experience. And, you know, he's, he's, he's absolutely right, Dan. This is about getting, you know, growing the crowds, building the fans. There are not enough American rugby fans to sustain MLR. We have to build it. The outreach by the teams is, is, you know, building the fans of the future. And, and as I explained, you know, as George and I talked about, you know, I'm going to have to be a Colorado Rapids fan because the Rapids have their claws into my daughter and she's wearing Rapids jerseys when she goes to soccer practice. So that's what we want from the, um, from these teams and, you know, their engagement with gross rugby. Yep. Um, sympathies to you and your daughter for being Rapids fans, by the way. It must be tough in this time. Hey, I, didn't say, I didn't say I was a Rapid fan. What I'm saying is that my daughter's already got two Rapid shirts. She plays for the Colorado Rapids. And like, I know next year she's going to be like, I want to go see the Rapids. And, you know, I don't have to be a fan, but I'm going to go along. I mean, I'm not going to let my four-year-old daughter go on her own, right, Dan? Right? I mean, you've got older kids. How old will she be next year, though? Well, she'll be four for most of the season. Oh, okay. No, wait until she's at least can send them on five. their own fours. Yeah. Depends on, depends on their maturity. MLR Parenting Podcast. No, it just doesn't have the same ring to it. We'll keep going. Well, let's go around the grounds. Big news, Pete, is the schedule. Uh, we will do a much deeper dive into each of the teams as we review them coming into the 2021 season. Firstly, just give me a brief overview of what you thought of the schedule. Uh, what jumped out to you initially when you first saw it? Well, you know, I, I always look at this as, as a coach, right? And so, you know, what, what you're looking for is um, where people have buys. So, for instance, week one, Toronto has a buy, right? That's not a useful time to have a buy. They only have one other buy. That means that particularly their second half of their season has no break. Um, so you're looking for that. And then you're looking for people that are on the road a lot. And I think Seattle, uh, you know, start off actually on the road quite a bit. They have um, five games on the road before... Um, they get to play at home. Now, you probably want to play in places like Austin and Houston and NOLA in like March, right? As opposed to in June. Um, but still, I think being on the road for that length of time. So those are the things that, that, that I look for. Um, and, you know, I think one of the, like to me, Dan, when I looked at this schedule, what I, what I took away is something that George was talking about, which is there's going to be a more compressed preseason for MLR than there has been in the past and that um, MLR is moving towards the more, you know, following the professional sports, which is players come in in shape. I mean, I hope there's some, you know, as I said, there's probably going to be some type five forwards putting down the cookies when they heard him talk about this, but players need to come in shape. There's not going to be enough time to get in shape, but there's going to be enough time to kind of learn to play together. That's going to have a disadvantage for the teams that have turnovers, whether that's with coaches or with um, players. But what it made me do is it made me look at the early games, right? And so I'm like, in the first four weeks for each team, 
which game would you highlight and say that's the game they have to win? And I think that's kind of like as the coach, because when you, when you prepare for these seasons, you think about your season in cycles, you identify games that you feel like that's when I'm going to peak, that's when I absolutely have to win the game. And I think that that's going to be like, I think coaches will look at that. And that's what I did when I, when I looked through the schedule. Yeah, uh, producer Aaron Castro and myself did a little bit of strength of schedule mathematics today as we crunched some numbers based on where the teams finished in 2020. Uh, Dallas and LA both drew an aggregate number. So obviously uh, with, with 13 teams, 11 left over, you can't have five and a half, so you round it up there to six. They got six points, so strength of schedule. Uh, I'll give you the, the easiest and the hardest. Who do you think got the easiest schedule based on the, that data you know set point and and that algorithm hmm. so based on last year's um final standings that's the five round yep so like i would say it has to be probably someone um in the east right i would i, I would guess um and it's probably whoever play oh because you hold it you said that the median number See now, now I'm not. Now I'm thinking about the math. So it's whoever plays like Houston and Austin the most, right? Right, because yeah. they're the ones that like, like, like they were the teams who were at the bottom, right? So it's probably Houston and Austin. So um, I could have a look, but uh, I'm not sure who that is. But that would based on that, who was the highest team in the West, and they would accrue the lowest number, uh, the highest number, because they're playing oh. against. Um, who was the highest team, like? Who was the worst team in the West? Is that what you're asking? No, the, who's the best team in the West? The best team in the West must be San Diego, right? And they actually have the easiest schedule based on that data right now. I, I said earlier before George came in that it's hard to kind of judge too deeply. That's all we have right now to go off, but I wouldn't read too much into that. But do you want to know who had the hardest schedule? And this one's a bit of a doozy. Who do you think had the hardest schedule based on that information? So it would be, um, hmm. it would be the team that probably played. Um, well, obviously Toronto or the team that played San Diego. Anyone's playing San Diego and Toronto twice, right? They're going to be up mm-hmm. there because they've got they're they're the top teams. But I don't know. Put me out of my misery. It was the lowest team in the East because they play all the East teams that all finished. Remember the oh, West right, was quite that's open. Right, that's right. Actually, so the East teams. There was San Diego, but the East team had Nola, it Second, had third, Atlanta, fourth, yes. it had Old Glory. Yeah, yeah. You know, so so I think that, that the challenge that we have, right, is that you know we we had a few games last year. I think it's probably pretty rough to base. Oh, absolutely. Season. But but you have to do Fun. something, right? You right. have to you have to you have to do something. So I think that's good. Well, well Dan, what I did was I looked at you know I went down. So you did the strength of schedule. Because you're like a nerd, and Aaron's a nerd, and I did. <laughs> I I looked at I looked at like, all right, early game. So big. What's, what's the biggest early game? Week two, Toronto versus San Diego. You know, Toronto at San Diego, right? For both of those teams, that's that's a huge question, right? Um, you look at Old Glory. They play at Nola off the bat. That's going to tell a lot about both of those teams. Um, but you look at NOLA, I actually think that for them, it's going to be that rivalry with Atlanta on week two, right? These are the things that you look at. 
Rooney, it's the rivalry game in, against New England, right? That's week three. Um, I think for Atlanta, it's Toronto, right? They're both in the East. It's week three. Um, Atlanta would have played New York and Nola, but for them, they're going to be like, we're going to test ourselves against Toronto. Um, another big opening weekend is Dallas versus LA, right? The two expansion teams playing each other. It's gonna, you're going to learn a lot about both of those teams um, in that game. I think Utah, I actually think Utah, and Utah's been, I mean, how many times have we burnt, been burnt by Utah, Dan? Like every year, like Utah win a game, lose a game, win a game, lose a game, right? It's crazy. So I actually looked at Utah and, you know, week four, the week before their bye, they play LA. That has to be a must-win game for them, right? They have to win that game, right? They play San Diego, New England, Old Glory, and those are all tough games, but they have to be, win that LA game in, in going into their bye, I think New England, I think it's Rooney. I think that's the rivalry game. For Seattle, I actually think it's at NOLA. That's week four. It's the day after their bye. Remember how poorly Seattle started last year, mm. right? Like they're going to have a bye. It'll be interesting to see what they do. There's a lot of continuity with that team, right? Same coaching staff, lots of players back, but didn't start well. So I think the week after would be NOLA. Um, Austin, I think it's their game against Houston in week three. And Houston, I think it's their game against San Diego in week four. So those are sort of my coaches' picks for the first four or five weeks of the season when you're looking to try and identify, you know, who the top, the top matchups and what the coaches are looking at when they go into the season. Mine was Seattle don't play at home until May 2nd. I know. That's nuts. That must be availability, right? You've got yes. to imagine it's just that Starfire, Starfire is not available and therefore they have to go on the road because Seattle doesn't have the weather issues that places like Toronto have. No. And you talked, we talked like their start in 2020 was not great. And a lot of those were home games. Their only win was against New England uh, at home. Uh, we did the game against Toronto out there, I believe. Is that No, that wasn't you and I. We did New England together, didn't we? No, I'm confused. No, we did Toronto. We did Toronto. Yep, CVS Toronto, and that was the semi-final rematch. They didn't look good there, and then they had the loss out to Old Glory. But Old Glory turned out to be a very, you know, very good side. Yeah, yeah. In those five weeks, so that's going to be tough. Like Seattle, they're going to have to have some real tough road wins. Utah, I think we're going to be a lot better, a lot, lot better this year. Well, Utah are doing all the right stuff right? They're doing all the right stuff. They're going to have continuity. They've got these development guys. They've got this relationship with the like local men's league. There's going to be some studs that pop out. They don't have necessarily the big signings of some of these other teams, right? But, but they're doing a lot of stuff right. So it's going to be a good test of their model. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Mikey Teo, round one, San Diego, little homecoming. For the yeah, so Mikey yeah, Mikey Taylor made a big signing. I'll give that to them. Right, yeah, that'd be good. yeah, that's right. Mikey Taylor gets to go home, right? So that'll be a, that'll be a good one to watch as well. They're all going to be good ones to watch. It'll it'll like I said, it'll take probably four or five weeks for the the dust to settle on, and we'll get a better idea on who's kind of a contender, who's a pretender, and who's not. But I, uh, think, I, I, I think that's right, and I think that one of the things that George talked about, which I thought was interesting, and I think he did this on the media call was, you know, he said the idea was that everyone's at 500 at the end of the year, right? 
the 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 like it's the parody is like that and, and what i would say is probably not everyone is 500 but when we get into the second half of the season right so when we get into week 10 and week 11 we want everyone to have something to play for i think while the games have often been very competitive we've had teams that just haven't really cut it like they haven't been blown out but they haven't been able to win games and i think that going into week into season four we want to see everyone you know, have three or four wins under their belt when they're in week 10 or 11. So, you know, I might be a couple of games under 500, but I'm not out of the playoffs, right? right? And that, that I think, if, if we could get there into the second half of the season where every fan feels like their team has something to play for, I think, I think that would be amazing. And, and, and we've had the competitiveness on the field. We've just got, you know, whether it's Houston or whether it's Austin, we've just had teams that haven't been able to win the games, even though they've been competitive in, in the games that they've played. Yeah, my, my main man, Sam Windsor, is going to turn that around. Better <laughs> believe that. Oh, yeah. Sam Windsor, like your main man, Sam Windsor, four years he's been about to turn it around, I think. This is, Oof. This is the one, though. Mark it down. Save this. Time stamp it, people. Time stamp it. Oh, I, I, look, I think Sam's great. I, I just wish they would let him play flatter, right? I just, like, he plays so deep. But um, I, I think Houston, again, continuity of coaching, continuity of staff. They've got great facilities. You know, they're not going to lack for resources. You know, I think that there's, there's huge disparities in, in how teams run. Like, if, if you go to the premiership or you go to Super Rugby, like most of those teams have same, the same like high performance systems, off field systems, people are recovering the same way. There's like a lot of best practice that's been shared that we're not that quite there for, for MLR. And so a lot of it's driven by, you know, whether the coach or, or the high performance director, there's someone that's driving that, but not every team has really strong processes off the field. And I think um, on, on, on the season that we have next year, you've got two buys. It's a long season. We're going to see that pay off in the second half. Mm. Well, let's have a look at some signings, shall we? I think just a, whoa, whoa. an addendum, uh, you know. Um, being the data nerd that I am, um, be, I guess being the data nerd in MLR the past three seasons, um, creating a schedule is very tough, right? Especially when it's weird, like this one. And, you know, shout out to the people that, that got it done. Um, you know, one of the things you see here and talked about, especially with the NFL, because it's, a, it's not a huge schedule like with the NBA or Major League Baseball or the NHL, is, well, usually you want your champion to actually have a pretty easy schedule because they, they try to incentivize that. And, well, in this case, San Diego has the currently, currently – you know, has the easiest schedule. And then you want your expansion teams to be competitive. And so they end up trying to get them an easy schedule. And you've got that with, you know, Los Angeles having the second easiest schedule and Dallas having the fourth easiest schedule. Well, we don't know the easiest schedule, right? Well, no, we don't. But in week zero, based on the data we have today, you know, the, the weird one for me sort of is the new is New England having – um, you know, the hardest schedule today. Now we'll, we'll, how, we'll come back and do this again and we'll look at the data after, you know, two or three weeks and it'll say, we'll have a better idea of what's going on. I just found it interesting that, you know, 
New England just got the short end with this, right? And then you had just being in the middle. So I, I, I don't know that New England got the short end. I don't think that's how it worked. New England are in the East. Well, yeah, and, and I and think... The best teams are in the East. I don't I, think there's any way that you could have scheduled this with the conferences that we had. Yeah. Like, like so, so probably what it means is that in the cross in the cross conference, New England have some of the harder people in the West, right? That's because on, because the East is just a really hard conference. Right? Eric and Anderson. So someone, someone the East was going to have. Eric Anderson doesn't care. He's a competitive guy. They're going to be ready. Tom Kindly, the you know Mato, the uh, crew up there, they're going to be ready, man. They put together a good roster. They don't care if they've got the hardest schedule now, according to our data or whatever. Whatever data you put in front of them, that's the point. You know what's interesting is is if you talk to the owners, do you think they would like an easy schedule or do you think they would like a brand name schedule? Brand name. Brand name. Yeah. I'd want I'd, I'd want to play the best teams with the best players because that's what puts bums in seats. Right. You want San Diego coming to your stadium. Right. I want Chris Robshaw to come and play against my team. Just not in the first five weeks, right? <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Yes, he was he was suspended because of his barbarian um, COVID rule breaking. So the Legion, the Legion will sign him with get signed for a Premiership team this fall or in the first part of the spring and can cover those five weeks. Can he play for Ombak for five games? Oh, I mean, I mean, you you and I both know there's ways to get around. Those, yeah. Well, I think it's weeks, not games. Right? Oh, it's weeks. I think it's weeks, not games. Yeah. So, sign a one dollar contract with the Harley weird, weird banning in in the RFU. Not just going with games, you know, right. because in rugby suspensions, when it's on the field conduct, usually you still get to train. Whereas in the NFL, if you're suspended for on or off field, it, you get to go yeah. play video games. Yeah. All right, so um, that's the schedule. More to come, right? More, yes, more to come. Stay tuned as updates continue to roll in. Let's do some signings. Let's go to Texas, Dallas. Johanko de Villiers, the big man, joining the Jackals. Their roster continues to fill out Pete. So this is, this is another um, example of a... A younger player, like I think if you, um, you know, at at the start of MLR, when people were like, oh, there's going to be foreign players, I think most people thought, oh, these will be people at the end of their careers, sort of, you know, trying to come to the States and a little bit of extra money. But actually what we're seeing is we've got a number of guys that have played very high level rugby overseas, right? And De Villiers is one of these guys. He's a Curry Cup player. He's 24. He's a 24-year-old number eight. He's, he's going to come over, and um, uh, I think that it was, you know, it's, it's one of these good pickups. It, it's, but it's also a bit more of a risk when you bring these guys over. Like, like you said before, Dan, sometimes these guys don't fit in, but having a guy that, that's, that's come over from and played professional rugby in South Africa, you think that that guy is going to be good, and, and when we look at critical positions, eight's one of them. So I think it seems to be a good pickup for Dallas. Yeah, another good pickup. Let's stay in Texas over to Austin to the Gil Gronies and the millions of Gil Groniacs just waiting for March 20th to roll around. Sebastian De Chavez, Paddy Ryan comes over from Rooney. All about the front row. All about the front row for Paddy. 
It was uh, all about his better half pulling the strings there, saying, New York, no more, going to Texas. Paddy Ryan makes the choice that many of us have made uh, for love, and he follows his, his lovely girl. For love and peace. Austin. For love and peace. Yep, in that order. Uh, also joining Mr. Ryan will be Mac Mason and Regan O'Gorman. I feel like we did those guys already. Canadian pair. No, well, Mac, Mac Mason is the Aussie, right? He's the Mac Aussie. Mac Mason is, right? Yeah. And then Regan so, O'Gorman is yeah, definitely so, the Canadian. So how many fly halves... These do, are the newest ones. Yeah, how, how many Four. fly halves do, do the Gilgronies need? Well, you got three off the top of my head in Kurt Morath, the incumbent... Will McGee and the fan favourite, um, you know, number 23 on the field, but number one in my heart. Uh, you've got now Mac Mason as well, who's a very good football player. I think Mac may tick that utility box more than the other two, though. Well, I mean, we'll like Will's, Will's played 15 for the US, right? True. So, so, so he has an ability to play. I, I think also, as, as we've talked, like 10 has been one of the, like, Tight head and number 10 are probably the two most Im- impactful positions. And it, it'll be interesting, right? And Kurt Morath is, what, 34, 35? Maybe, maybe uh, a little older. Yeah, he's probably not going to But I, I like Mac Mason. He's one of these, like, again, guys that has, you know, played some super rugby, um, was, was with, with the Waratahs, and I think, I think it's a great pickup. Yeah, it is. You ready for this one? This is uh, your LA Geltinis, Pete. Oh. Pete loves his Giltinis. Signings for the Giltinis. And there are plenty of them too. They, they have gone from the what is going on in LA to everyone's like, well, who's going to beat LA? You know, they've buffed up their, their front office. They've got Darren Coleman coming there, Steve Hoyles, Adam, Adam Fryer coming over as the GM. So you've got this great front office, phenomenal coaching staff. You, you sign Alex Corpusero as your scrum coach, as your scrum coach. Like Corbs, you know, has every right to take a higher coaching, but they've got him on as a scrum coach. Like, that's incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and, and what I like about the Giltinis, so, so, you know, the Gilgronis and the Giltinis, I think what they're probably going to be is they're probably going to be leaders in marketing. And, and while we were all worried about the Giltinis, you and I both know that there were signings happening. They just hadn't announced them. And so they had a pretty strong rollout, right? So they rolled out the front, the, the coaches, the front office, and then they've rolled out the players. And they've got some players that have great MLR experience, like Luke White. I mean, Luke White, is that's, that's a guy that's, you know, hard to handle. It'll be interesting, interesting to see where they play. Like he can play probably, he can play six. I mean, he's a short but powerful lock. He can even play, I think, maybe even in the front row. I mean, that's a big pickup. John Ryberg, like muscles, quadricep with eyeballs. Quadricep with right. eyeballs. Um, imagine, <laughs> imagine him on the beach, Pete, just rolling down the beach there in those sluggos with those big old legs. Oh. I mean, one of the most exciting young talents in American rugby, and Mika Cruze. Agreed. You know, like, like, and then, and then, you know, a number of foreign players. Like, what I love is the Smith twins. Yeah, Ruan and right? JP. Now, I got some, some friends uh, in Brisbane who reached out when they saw the signing, and they were kind of surprised. They said not, not only were they playing for the Reds, but they were really well-liked. They were really right. players at the Reds. And it's kind of a shock that they're leaving. Uh, but 
it's just they saw the opportunity and package deal, the twin brothers. How good's that? Yeah, I mean that's that's crazy. Mayhem. Right. You know the one that jumped out to me and I and I tweeted this one was Harrison Goddard. Um, you know, obviously having not lived in Australia for over a decade, it's kind of tough to keep up with a lot of the the local right. grassroots rugby there. But I've heard from a few people that Harrison Goddard was kind of like the next big thing at nine. Um, you got Nick White kind of playing right. that role now, but he was kind of the heir apparent or, or one off the heirs apparent to that nine for the Wallabies and uh, got some time with Super Rugby, I believe, with the Rebels and you know ticked all the junior representative boxes. And I saw his name pop up and he's 22, 23. Yeah, I mean, I mean these I guys... Like, wow. So, so, so some of it... You know, having spoken to some of these young foreign players, is that um, you know, obviously there's the lure of coming to America, right? And and Southern California is obviously a great a great lure. And there's you know some great Aussie um, talent in the coaching and off field stuff, right? So there's lots of great connections to, to Australia, but for a lot of these guys, they're like, I want to play, right? I actually want to play. I don't want to be on the bench. I don't want to be a squad player in Super Rugby coming off the bench. I want to be a starter. And, you know, maybe I can come to America, start for a couple of years where I can really hone my game and maybe I go back or maybe I stay. I think, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I think, we, you know, we talked a lot about some of the off-season, um, or sorry, the overseas signings, but I thought that, um, and let me see if I can get this right. You're better um, than I am, but it's nice Love to this. see some American talent. So um, is it Jeff Palasawema? You're very good. That was good. Okay. So the uh, um, you know this is this is a, a young guy coming out of San Francisco. He's 20. Um, you know from Golden Gate, and and this is like one of these guys that MLR is around for, right? This they can give him a career. It can give him somewhere to go. So it's exciting to see some of these young players. I think the challenge is for someone this raw is how do they improve? How do they get game time? You get to practice with good players, but in rugby, I'm always a great believer that you improve by playing. So the Giltinis are going to have to get their off-season developmental program going for to see um, place, you know, players' life, I think, really develop. But I think it'll be a great step for him, and hopefully he's got some opportunity. Yeah, Nathan then uh, Hoyt as well. The Moose, he comes over from, I think he's down at the Rats there in Ranwick. Uh, another good signing. He's, he's one of those guys that... On, on the fringe of professional rugby uh, in the Southern Hemisphere. Couldn't quite crack through that bubble, but will probably come out and be one of the best players week in, week out for right. the Giltinis. And the big one that was announced a couple of days ago, a personal favourite of mine, is Lane Lane Halpakui. Uh, great story. He's a great story. Um, I'll, I'll, do you mind if I go off on a little rant? No, go off on a tangent. So you remember there was another competition in 2016 um, run by Lord Voldemort, I believe. And Langy Langy <laughs> also played... called Pro Rugby. Got it. That's it. That's it. Something. Sorry. Uh, Langy Langy played for the Sacramento team. And um, doing the games, you just can't help but see this guy and you know, got the tats, the long hair, and just physically very big. And you look down at the roster and you see that last name, Hal Pakui, and you're like, Quickly, that's going to be a tough one. So I just called him Langy Langy, you know, like Sonny Bill. Everyone just going to know this guy by his first name. He's that good. And the, the manager for the team comes up to me and said, he is not happy that you're not saying his name. Um, he's got a real problem with you. And I was like, 
Oh, okay. Like normally you're like, all right, that's fair enough. This guy's a big dude and he's a scary looking dude. <laughs> this is not someone you want mad at you. This is not someone that I'm like, all right, I got I to gotta get in front of this. I got to nip this in the bud immediately. So they're playing San Francisco at Old Boxer Stadium. I don't know if you've ever been to Boxer. Yeah, yeah, I've been to Yep, been yep, boxer. yep. And so they're warming up and I make a beeline straight for Langy Langy and uh, got the slacks on with the polo and ready, ready for TV. Uh, not ready to get punched in the face by a rather large man. And I'm walking there and I try to puff up a little bit, you know, make myself. A and, and just so everyone knows, Dan, you're not a small guy. What are you, like six, uh, four? Six, six, four. Just got back from a little trip and I'm 240 at the moment. So, but right. coming down, I promise you folks, I'm coming down. Um, yeah, walk straight up to him and deep in the voice of you. Oh, hey, hey, mate. Hey, mate. And, um, <laughs> he turns around. He could not be more polite and nice. He's like, oh, hey, hey, Dan. And. Uh, no, loving, loving the TV. He goes, oh, it's so awesome. I love the Langy Langy thing. The first name. It's, and I'm like, okay. I said, oh, I just heard that you were a bit upset I wasn't saying your last name. And he's like, no, who said that? And I was like, don't worry about it. You're good with Langy Langy? And he goes, yeah, I love it. I love it. All my friends are kind of like, oh, he's so cool. He only has one name. He's like the Madonna of, of rugby now. And, and, you know, I'm like, oh, went back up. I, I think I had a... Uh, I think I had a few moments where it all flashed before my eyes. And I was like, woof. And Did that- you ever go back to the manager and be like, what the heck? No, no I'm just like... Oh, well, we all, know, we all know that like the hardest thing, I mean, the hardest thing in Major League Rugby is often to get the pronunciations right. And especially when like the, the manager, the coach, and the player each have three different pronunciations. So often we'll be like, Hey, how do you pronounce that? And they'll tell you and you're like, got it. And then you'll use that in the broadcast and then you'll hit, no, 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 no. The coach is like, Hey, I heard you call that. It's not that. Then you call it something else. And then finally the player comes and says, uh, actually the last two weeks you've been calling it wrong. And you're just like, okay. And actually often, often most of the hardest names, right. To, to pronounce, pronounce the coach and the manager are just like, we just don't use his last name. I just call him junior. Yeah. Oh, I can't do that. But yeah. So he he went on a tear that you end up being asked to come in to hold the tackle bag for the Eagles before their game against Russia in Sacramento. And he belted everyone at training. They said, do you want to play instead? And he literally got called into the squad, played against Russia. And please don't take this the wrong way. But if you remember that game, he absolutely smashes the Russian hooker. And I mean that in a sense on the rectangular grass field. No other connotation included. But, uh, yeah, just incredible. And he ended up capping it off by signing with Glasgow, ends up back in the States. In the wilderness, I think Life West and uh, Rennie Ie are uh, responsible for kind of getting him back in touch with uh, LA. And, and Darren Coleman uh, has got... San Francisco think, Golden Gate. Yeah, oh, that's it, Golden Gate. I thought he was at Life West, but you're right. And I think he was playing some rugby league up there too. Which Yep, he was. Absolutely. Absolutely perfect for the way he plays the game too. Rugby league. Uh, no yellow cards there, Langy. Langy, keep ripping in, brother. But, uh, you know, Darren Coleman has such an impressive lump of play to work with. He's still young enough to, to really make an impact. And I'm excited to see him back in, you know, professional rugby over here in the States, Pete. Yeah, well, that's a, I mean, that's a great story, Dan. And I think that those are the sorts of stories that kind of liven up the, you know, the, I mean, Player stories is one of the things that we have to tell as um, announcers and commentators because it's one of the things that makes the game um, relatable. 
And also, I think one of the cool things, and you know, for any of our um, listeners that haven't been to a game, guess what you can do after an MLR game? You can go up and you can say, hi, Langy Langy, and you can go meet the guy because he's hanging around waiting to talk to fans, which is very, very cool. Yeah. Tell him Dan sent you. Just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A couple of extensions. Uh, actually, I just wanted to touch on Luke Burton as well. Fly out from San Diego. Yeah, he goes up the coast to uh, LA, which I think he's reconnecting with Darren Coleman. So the Coleman yeah. effect already, you know, we're starting to see that in, in Major League Rugby. So um, for those and, not familiar, Darren Coleman will be the head coach at LA. He's, he's a very, very highly regarded coach down in Australia. Just came off a shoot shield victory down there and um, comes into – LA with a, a very, very, you know, decorated coaching career and and probably one of the, the best coaches at getting the most out of his players. So LA have got a real good one there. So well, Luke I mean, Burton, I the interesting thing to pick up of Luke Burton going to LA, is that mean that Joe Peterson's back at 10 in San Diego? Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know if Joe had plans on coming back and then you Manonu, JP Tuplessy and now Luke Burton. So may have just sort of been a carrot to And a coaching change. Like we talk about like continuity, right? Yeah. But there's a coaching change. Rob Hoadley's gone. We've got, you know, co-coaches in San Diego. I mean, it's going to be, San Diego is going to be, it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting year, I think, for San Diego. Absolutely. Well, let's look at some extensions in San Diego, Pete. As uh, if I always see Piffaliti, he extends there. Again, super talented. Yeah, great, great pickup. Probably, uh, probably looking at some higher honors in the next couple of years for for Pefaletti as sure. And I think his brother's in Dallas, right? Yes, I think his brother. Yep. Nope. 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 Where'd he go? His, his brother re-signed with the Saracens because, um, and he is with the Saracens in the champion or in the championship right in the now. Championship. Right. Gotcha. So, were they both at San Diego at some point? Um, yes, they both yeah. were. Um, they were both. If you look at deep in them, they're both graduates. They graduated the Saracens Academy, which is a design, which is a specific designation because there are plenty of players that don't do that. And then they came over to San Diego. Um, first Faca OC, and then um, Del Capelli, um, Pifoletti, who and the one of the things that happened was uh, Capelli got picked up and played um, at least three tests in to get a, a visa as a senior cap player from a tier two nation. You have to play three tests in the last 18 months. And he did that. And, you know, he signed a two year deal with Saracens. And when they came back um, for their season, he, he played pretty well. Um, so, yeah. Um, Actually, so speaking of visas, one of the interesting things that I think might impact the talent pool for Major League Rugby is Brexit. So regardless of whether there's a deal or no deal, and if you've been following it, it's all just like a mess. Um, it's going to be a lot harder for um, European uh, players to get contracts and visas in the UK because the UK won't be part of the EU. So they won't, or they'll have to actually be able to, they'll have to qualify for visas. And so it might be that there's more, you know, probably not in France because France has like so many tiers of professional rugby that you could play mm -hmm. there, but, but certainly sort of Italian, Spanish, maybe Georgian, 
right? There's there are some players that that might be more available to MLR teams because where they would have normally gone to the UK, which of course includes Scotland and Wales, now it's going to be harder to do that without, you know, the cap requirement. And you know, there's always a lot of politics involved in that. So so that's that's actually something that 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 might be interesting as we see over, you know, once we get past January one. Gotcha. Does this affect the the Colpac visa as well? Or? I don't know. No, I don't, this is just EU um, gotcha. into uh, um, like European. Gotcha. Like the only changes is, is the fact if you were in Europe, then uh, so I guess Georgia probably wouldn't count. Right? I'm not exactly sure, but the you know certainly in places like Italy and Spain, it's probably you know some some players that may have looked to want to play in in the UK. So can't do it. All right, yeah, it'll be interesting. Let's go up the coast of Seattle. George Barton extends the uh, the Ginger Center. Surprised New England didn't get their hands on him. They're on a ginger spree at the moment. Justice Sears Duru, the front rower, and Nakai Penny, so, one of my favorite players, Nakai Penny. You know, quickly, like, like three quality Canadians. I, I'm, I'm with you. I think Nakai Penny is an amazing back row forward. Um, I, think, I think the only, re- you know, him and um, Lucas Rumble, like, battle it out, right, for number seven for Canada. Um, George Barton is interesting to me because big player, athlete, do you play him at 12? Do you play him at 13? Um, depends on, like, he's much more of a direct runner, much more of a good defender. Um, kind of difficult to see. Like, it would be great to see him grow. I'm not sure that we've seen as much growth from him as you would like um, over the first couple of years of um, MLR. And Sis Duru, I just, like, he's just a powerful player. Again, we go back to the front row, strong front row player. All three of those are, are strong signings for Seattle. And continuity is going to be important. We've talked about that. And uh, same coach, lots of the same players for Seattle. Hopefully that'll lead to a bit of a turnaround going into the season relative to last year. I think for George, it's, it's, for him personally, it's probably like where's his easiest or most logical pathway into the Canadian side. Right. Is it 12 or 13? And then he has to have a chat with the coaching staff in Seattle about doing that. And yeah, I, I, mean, would, I, think... I would say 12p. I, I just I wonder defending at that 13 channel how fast his lateral movement is. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go, Dan. You have a blind, blind winger and you bounce him. Like you imagine like a Ryan Mattias running a little outside back ball and hitting that 13 wing channel, and just right. a, little, a little shake in and away. And it's, it's, it's a tough. It's. It, I don't think people really give that position the, the respect it deserves. No, it's the hardest. It's, yeah. it's the hardest position to defend, right? I mean, it's the hardest defensive position in the game. Is thirteen, and you know, as like a head coach, when you're writing up set piece or phase attacking plays, you make a set piece, but uh, you, that's the channel you try yeah, to yeah, well, create turmoil at. Right. So you're looking at two hinges, right? So you're looking how do I attack between the seven and the ten, and how do I attack between the thirteen and the fourteen? Like those are the two places, right? Because they're the two places that that there isn't a natural wall and a natural connection. So you find ways to be able to attack those two. And I'm I'm with you about um about um, George Barton. You know, I think he's a very powerful runner, right? I mean, he can get you over the game line. But it depends if you want to play your playmaker at twelve or your playmaker at thirteen. And I would argue, I think that when Seattle played Shalom at twelve, right? Um, Shalom Suniola, which is basically playing, you know, a ball handling 12, they were a better team than when they played Shalom at 13, mm. right? And so, you know, Shalom's probably a better defender in the 13 channel, 
But like when he wasn't at 12, I think Seattle's back line, both attack offensively and defensively, were missing something. So, it, it, you know, it, a lot of it depends, like, you know, it's about complements, right? So it's like making sure your 10 and 12 are complementary, making sure your 12 and 13 are complementary, right? So a stronger 10 allows you to have a less experienced 12. A stronger 12 allows you to have a less experienced 13. It's kind of, you've got to make sure you get that mix right. All right. I think they're going to have a healthy Ross Neal as well. You could also prove uh, a handful at that 13 channel, a la, you know, Carl Meyer down in New Orleans. But, yeah, uh, well, Pete, that's a, that's a good one. Good show. Yeah, it's been, I mean, I, I am, I'm, I'm excited. I, I want to get after these reviews, Dan. I want to start looking at rosters. I want to start in my head, like putting together 15s. You mm. know, I think that, I think that it's, uh, you know, I, um, you know, COVID, like I think one of the things that George talked a lot about is he talked about safety and he talked about player wellness. And I know that they're going to be very careful, you know, March 13th, sorry, March 15th or the middle of March. What, what's the kickoff date? 20th, March, March 20th. 20th. Thanks. I'm like, I'm like hold on, I, was, I was searching for it. March 20th is going to be probably a little bit too early for like the vaccines to be fully rolled out. We'll, we'll probably be partly on the way. So there's still going to be some restrictions that exist. Right. Um, and so it was great to hear George talk about safety. <clears throat> and I know, you know, the budget of the league is protocols in place. So um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I like, you know, I've always believed there was going to be a season. I wasn't quite sure if it was going to start in March. But, um, you know, now I think the league's put a stake in the ground and, and we've got a target to work towards. Beautiful stuff. Just quickly, two more things before we go, Pete. Uh, happy birthday, Scott Green. He's one of the refs. He turns, I won't tell you what number it is because I don't want to do it. He, he looks like he's 28 still. Green, he looks great. So that's on Thursday. So everyone reach out to Scott Green. Wish him happy birthday. Uh, the second one, I uh, just want to give a quick shout out to my good mate, Lou Stanfield. I'm sure everyone's aware. Lou was recently diagnosed with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, as most people are aware, Lou and I are very close. We go back a long way, considering a very dear friend of mine, his wife, Kramer, his two kids, Hayes and Winnie. So anything you can do to help out, um, he's not the kind of guy who's going to put his hand out and ask for help. He, but get your arms around him. Tell him you love him. Um, get the support going up there to the Stanfields. Great people. And uh, I know, just like we did with Corbs, Corbs is kicking Cancer's ass. Louis going to do the same thing and hopefully we'll see uh, Lou Stanfield back better than ever uh, in the near future, Louis. So we, uh, from the show, from all of us, we love you. Fight the good fight, brother, and we'll be there for you every step of the way. Just remember, get to the rugby shop, shopmli.com, to get all the new kit. That wraps it up. Dan Power, Pete Steinberg, producer Aaron Castro. This has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast. <laughs>